You're listening to the Movie Rob Minute Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Minute 89 of Season 3 of Movie Rob Minute, the daily podcast where we yippee our way through the 1980 school of action flick diary, one minute at a time. I'm Rob, and joining me once again today is Aaron Neuwirth of Out Now with Aaron and Abe. Welcome back, Aaron. Happy to be here. I'm happy to have you. <laughs> Just uh, make sure you hunt down that little... <laughs> All right, so exactly. <laughs> Is that a usual suspect? No, I'm just kidding. Finster, uh, Finster. So, uh, minute 89 begins with Hans finishing his instructions to Theo and ends with Hasseldorf beginning to answer. So, yesterday we, we finished things off with Hans talking to Theo and says, So be of good cheer and call me. And the answer is when you hit the last lock. But as we know from the uh, from the script, he already has hit the last lock. <laughs> and then he turns to Carl and goes, Carl, hunt that little <laughs> down and get those detonators. So his response, uh, Carl's response is, Fritz is checking the explosives. And then Hans goes, I'll check the explosives. You get the detonators. So um, <laughs> how would you define the term "little as was a big what's uh, uh, the what is it the um the fly in the ointment you know the the little distraction the, the that 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 rock in your shoe <laughs> this thing that you know everything else is going perfectly fine, but there's one thing that's causing a problem one little thing right okay. So, according to the Urban Dictionary, it's a an individual who does the exact opposite of what you tell them. They can be extremely annoying and sometimes take it too far. They crave attention and will do anything to get it. They're usually very childish, but deep down, they are sensitive creatures. Now, I have no idea how that actually, you know, connects to this. It's like, it could be a precocious child who, you know, who can in- anticipate their parents' actions and they take preventative measures. <laughs> okay. So, yeah. <laughs> I don't really know how that really fits in there. But, uh, you know, this, this is one of the few times that we actually hear Hans swear. He doesn't really swear throughout the movie. Well, yeah. You know, it's, it's quite rare. So, apparently, you know, John has gotten on his nerves enough that he's going to start swearing here. Well, now he has a key part of his thing, right? He has his detonators, which he, he that's something he needs. Like, it's one thing to just have a guy who's running around that he can close off somewhere, but it's another thing to have him affecting the plan that he has. But but he's known about this for a while. This isn't, you know, he didn't just find out that the explosives are with John. Yeah, but now it's it's coming closer to the time where he's going to actually need them. So it's, you know. Sorry, the detonators are with him, yeah. not the explosives. Yeah, yeah. Correct, but even if you need them, you, you want to have them on you. You know, you would think, see, beforehand, he kept talking about the fact that, okay, you know, just leave him be, leave him boxed in, and, and we'll we'll uh, we'll eventually deal with him. 
But if it's something that's so essential to his plan, you would think that he would want to to do all he can to, you know, to get it sooner. It's overconfidence. Like he thinks he can handle it and it's not getting handled as quick as he wants it to. Right. Okay. That makes sense. Ego. Get a shot once again. Uh, and we hear Powell. Oh, we hear John say to Powell, hey, Powell, you out there? I'm here, John. I'm here. You got to believe me. There was nothing I could do. Well, it's going to be both our S's if you're wrong. I hear you. Did you catch that bull? Hans was running? Doesn't make sense, man. Don't ask me, man. I'm just a desk jockey. It was on my way home when you rang. The way you drove that car, I figured you for the street, Al. In my youth. In my youth. So, first of all, I love this conversation between the two of them. Sure. It adds a lot more to the development of these two characters and their relationship, which, which, which is so important to the movie. Yeah. You know, because it gives it gives hope to both of them. It does. It makes it by the fact that they have this type of connection. It grounds it. It makes it more human. Gives characters more dimension. Yeah. Because you have something to play off of, as opposed to stuff speaking only about the plot. You have characters talking about things that are related to them, pers- as you know, people, you know, personality. Well, he's talking about the plot here. He's talking about you know, Ellis. <laughs> yeah, but it, um, you know, in terms of like everything needs to Ellis. How they're re- yeah, exactly. How they're relating to each other. You know, it's not. There's no momentum in the plot there. That's just talking, essentially. Right. Correct. But but it works. Yeah. It, you know, it, it, it's it, organic. It it's, it's organic to the situation while adding to what these actors are bringing to the roles. And you know, it's it's good. You know, John is all on his own. So for us to hear him talking to someone else and making a connection and stuff like that, you know, if it would have been anyone else besides Al, it wouldn't have worked. You know, if it was Robinson who was always on the phone, you know, maybe John would have given up already and said, Hans, come and take me. I can't handle this guy anymore. Again, it goes back to the whole point where this is a party line. Everyone can hear this conversation. You know, the the two of them have to somehow find a way to be able to, to have these private conversations. I, you yeah, know, you have Thornburg I, I, I wouldn't this. necessarily want that to be private, though. If I, you know, I, I'd want the police to be aware that this guy is making stuff up. Like, he does not care about these, you know, political organizations, these, these, these groups. Like, I, I, I don't think John's worried about someone overhearing the fact that he does not buy into what Hans is selling whatsoever. I think he wants them to know that you guys need to be smarter about this. This guy's not asking for this. Right. Like, that's not something he needs to be vague about compared to, like, his identity. Right, but, uh, again, it's 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 fun to... Yeah, it's fun to, to think about to, the idea that there's the cops, way. like, hanging out, listening to all this going on, that's for sure. Exactly, because there's nothing else for them to be doing at the time. <laughs> what else, you know? Yeah, no, so it, 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 it works the way that they, they, they do that. And, you know, as, as I said, it, it's... It's working to help establish an even firmer connection between the two of them. Then, basically, you know, when when John says you got to believe me, there was nothing I could do. Does it? Do you think he's he's doubting himself? Because he doesn't sound as confident as you would think he should be by think, saying those lines. I think telling Al is more him telling himself because um, he hasn't. I mean, he hasn't spoken outwardly about this. But I think it's a it's a matter of. Uh, trying to not absolve himself, but certainly like just make sure he's saying these things out loud to understand like they're 
you know, working it out in his head as far as getting over this to go, you know, move forward. It's like, I could, there's nothing I could do. Like, what could, like, he's, he's saying that out, like, he's saying it to Al, but I think he's also telling it to himself. Mm-hmm. Right. Now, in your opinion, we, we discussed this a little bit over the last few days, but do you think he handled the Ella situation correctly? Yes. Do you think he could have done it differently? You know, it's not in terms of what his goal was for that scene. Like, could he phrase things differently? Sure, but I don't think. I mean, I think he took it. He took it seriously all the way through. Like, it's you know, he wasn't being this the wisecracking John McClane in that sequence. He was telling Ellis very specifically that he that and, and telling Hans that he knows who this guy. He knows the kind of person this is. He knows he's not playing around. He knows there's no room for this kind of arrogance on Ellis's part to think that he can get through this. You need to stop this game and you need to you need to back down because it's gonna get you killed. I can't give in or else everybody right. gets killed or you know, they win, which I can't let happen. Like I, I yeah, I don't think there's a I don't think there's a version of this that goes better for anybody involved. Okay. That 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 makes sense. You know, again, part of the whole idea here is that that Ellis had to die. Yeah, you know, I mean, plot-wise, that, that, yes. that's an essential part. Yeah, it's an essential part of the plot. It, you know, to help, you know, to to show that that even if someone is going to try to save the situation, it isn't necessarily going to work. I I would say, like, then, if it if it, it, it was the John McClane who was making you know one-liners and wisecracks to Hans separate uh, from this conversation, then obviously he'd be he would need to feel remorse and we'd like him less as a character because he didn't treat this with, you know, any kind of sincerity, but because he drops all the shtick and does exactly what he can in the most dramatic ways you can, you know, in the most serious way you buy into that. You, mm -hmm. you get that. It's not just playing around between two guys, even though there's lives at stake. It's someone's realistically going to die. If I don't try to handle this the best I can, he fails at that. But it's not like he didn't do his best to try to prevent that from happening, right? Because again, he's also he's not he's not a negotiator. He just was, you know, he he's just trying to think quick on his feet of how to, you know, deal with the situation. Okay, you have this guy who's claiming that he's my friend. He's not. They're gonna kill us anyway. You know, so maybe if he's not my friend, they won't kill him. Yeah, I mean, even then, like, if it was some kind of silver-tongued magic negotiator, there's no version of that where Ellis walks out alive. Like, he needs to increase those stakes regardless. Right. No, but this way, at least John is able to distance himself from it. Yeah, 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 that's that's what I've been saying, yeah. he's it, Ellis' yeah. death is not John's fault. It's just unfortunate. Yeah. Well, depends on for who. It helps, it helps Holly. Holly moved up two rungs. Yeah. <laughs> you know, maybe there's like a, a world where Holly is behind all of this because she wanted to become the CEO. She, I know you're, I know you're joking, but it's, there's easier means <laughs> <laughs> on her part. She wouldn't need to go through all this stuff. Her ultimate bill was just, I'll just hire some terrorists. <laughs> like, I'll just hire some terrorists. I mean, they said that the, the uh, instead of know, the, dissolving the, the, my marriage the... and changing my name, <laughs> just hire some terrorists. <laughs> no, but this way she can become the CEO because she can get rid of Takagi, she can get rid of Ellis. You know, she she talks about that she wants Ellis's uh, private bathroom. 
which I mean, they currently were in when she said it, but that's a separate issue. Sure. That, I mean, but that's just that's just a bad movie that you're describing at that point. It's like, yeah, it was me the whole time. <laughs> okay, whatever. <laughs> oh, it would have been an interesting twist. <laughs> I mean, that's like that's like Air Force One. Where Hans like, grabs her at the end and says, you know, uh, instead of saying I moved up to, you know, I moved up to kidnapping, you could just say, uh, you know, you got me into this. Or it, like it is White House <laughs> down to some degree also. Like it's other it's other diehard knockoffs as far as, you know, there's some mole inside the whole time that was actually behind everything. Like, right. We've, we've seen it. <laughs> right. Well, there has to be some sort of mole here. The, you know, they, well, they never really because of the go ship. into detail about it. It's a shift in it's a, that, that's a, that's the shift in you know the atmosphere that we you know the time and space we live in the 80s is the Reagan 80s so this is more about you know having a not you know a non Arnold guy a non Stallone guy a regular guy being involved in with activities involving Euro Euro trash essentially <laughs> as the villain um, you yeah. know, think, things shift away in the 90s and the 2000s when you have more. I mean, in the 90s, it's more like the president's the good guy because there's certain attitudes that reflect that as far as the kind of, you know, rock star action hero that your president's supposed to be. Then you get to the 2000s and you get to 24, post 9-11, Bush era, where things become more shady. There's more moles, there's more people behind the scenes that are pulling the strings. I mean, it's just things change. Right, but I'm looking at it from the perspective that, that think about the plot here, okay? How does Hans know that they have all these bearer bonds? Somebody had to tell him. Uh, you know, this isn't something that, that that's listed, you know, among their the assets of the company. I mean that I hear what you're saying. I would say that's nowadays that would be a part of the plot. That would be very much a part of the screenplay where you'd have someone that's secretly on the inside. That's very much a more modern element. Back in those you know, even Correct. like something like Heat or various bank robbery movies. It's not about having some guy that works at the bank that's on the inside. It's just no, the you know people, you know the, the criminal underground just found out that like this is the day where there's going to be a billion dollars being transferred in a cargo ship or whatever. Like it's just stuff that gets found without right. without it being a crucial plot sure. element as far as a disgruntled employee or whatever. Right. Okay. No. No. That, that, it, I'm glad that you're 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 explaining the, the, you know, the way that things have moved over the decades. Yeah, just, yeah. I, I actually find that very fascinating. Yeah, yeah, no, it's, it is. Obviously, it's, I've it's, seen movies yeah, in, in all those decades. Yeah, I, I'm, yeah just, I've, seen, I'm, I'm just going I've seen how that works, but I never, I never thought about it from that perspective. Yeah, it, it's generally just a reflection of the times, right? Where, you know, you have 70 paranoia thrillers in the, you know, in the 70s, right? Um, you, you have, and you have, and you have more of this kind of machismo element in the 80s that, lasts just long enough to be parodied by the end of the 80s to some degree whether it's an outright comedy or just something that's commenting on it the 90s gets gets a little more it gets away from certain things it brings in other elements and like i said the government seems it's a mix of things it's interesting to watch something like independence air force one where the hero is the president then you get to the end of the 90s things shift a bit then the 2000s is just it's conspiracies everywhere always conspiracies (laughs) That's that's the name of the game. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, there's something I just I never thought about the fact that it that that it's a reflection of the time yeah. by the whole thing because because again there are plot holes in this movie revolving around the information. That's what it comes down to. But I mean, what you're saying is very plausible. The fact that okay, somehow the information got the Huns that they have the six hundred billion dollars worth of bear bonds. You know, just sitting there 
in the vault. I mean, it's less about it's not a plot hole so much as it's an element that goes unexplained. Like it's you know it's it's not something that's breaking the story. It's just if you want a four hour movie, then we can explain all these things, but that's boring. <laughs> right, that's true. No, the, the, this movie has a good good runtime. You know, I don't think I I don't think there are very many lulls in the story. Oh no, as this, movie, this movie's a rocket. This <laughs> movie's never yeah. Yeah. Even the, you know, the, the slowest point is when he's pulling glass out of his feet and telling pals telling the story. That's the slowest part of the movie, and like that's not, not that's not unexciting. Correct. That's that's great stuff to listen to. Yeah, which comes down that's to, very true. Which comes down to characters once again. If they're boring characters, you don't want to care anything right. about them. That's the character development. Yeah, there. Like you could say the same. You know, about, you know that but, wouldn't have mm-hmm. that wouldn't have worked without the type of conversations that that that, that they're having here. Yeah. Or even like the basic stuff. You know, if he would have just screamed back then, you know, then and he's talking about pulling, uh, you know, glass out of his out of his feet, and he hadn't had these conversations with with Al before, it would have, you know, it wouldn't have worked. Yeah. Same with the early setup when you have just McLean walking around the, you know, getting to the building and everything. It's because Willis is a fountain of charisma, and you have Ellis, you know, you have Hal Bachman, you have Donnie Bedelio, you have Takagi. They are they are interesting characters to pay attention to. You don't just walk into that room and be like, "Oh, this is boring." It's like, no, I want to hear about this stuff. I want to I want to get this dynamic down. Right. It's true. And then the the shot changes, and we we're back in the uh, TV studio, and we get our our, our uh, yeah. news anchor Gail Gail Wallen. Okay, starts and go and she she's starts off mid sentence and says. And author of Hostage Terrorist, Terrorist Hostage, hostage. a study so in duality. It's so funny. <laughs> Such a silly book title. Uh, they made a cover and everything. That's really funny. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I wonder if it's, like, based on something. You know, if they tried to, you know, if, if someone had seen some sort of, uh, you oh, know, yeah. uh, that, psychology. That's very much, pay- yeah, that's very much, like. Homaging this idea of you know these like how do you relate to the killer type books and things like that that were you know coming around yeah yeah and then she continues and goes Doctor Hasseldorf yeah what can we expect in the next few hours like this is all that's pure parody (laughs) everything going on in the TV studios is just parody of like how to how you respond to this scenario (laughs) yeah but again what what's interesting here is is that nowadays when something is happening, you constantly have talking heads on every single channel uh-huh. doing exactly what they're doing here, trying to explain the situation. You know, even 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 if you think back to, you know, 9-11, okay, I, I remember being glued to, to the TV that day, you know, and, and people are talking about basically nothing because they don't understand what, what they're talking about, but they're still talking. And they're trying to explain what what we're possibly seeing, mm-hmm. you know. And it's you know, this is you know this this is a movie that came out 34 years ago, and they knew at the time that you could still do that, or that you could already do that. You know, I, I don't think it was as prevalent back then. I mean, CNN hadn't. I, I don't think CNN had even launched at the, at in '88, or it might have just been around the time that it was launching. Mm-hmm. You know, where you have constant 24-hour news, where you could bring in talking heads to, to discuss different situations and stuff like that. Like I said, I mean, nowadays it's commonplace, but then it wasn't as commonplace. 
And it's fun to, to, to look at this and say, wow, they, they knew what they were talking about by bringing someone in to just, you know, uh, talk out of his ass. Basically, that's what he's doing here. Because he has no clue. Yeah. As we'll see tomorrow when we, when we get into that. You know, today we just get two, two words from him. Well, Gel. <laughs> and then he gets cut off. You know, he doesn't, doesn't really have much to say at that point. But what what what's you know basically they're just hypothesizing here everything even even with Thornburg possibly listening in on some of the conversations you know I wonder you know, it makes you wonder what he has passed on to them you know has he passed on to them the demands which I'm assuming he has heard or he I mean he hasn't he hasn't left yet to go find John. I I mean I would argue no, just because he wants all that he can to himself. I mean he's probably passed on as much as he feels he needs to pass on, but nothing juicy. Right. Okay. That makes sense. So do you have anything else you want to say about this uh, minute before we get into the script? Uh, no, I just really like the title Hostage Terrorist Terrorist Hostage. <laughs> it's just so stupid. <laughs> <laughs> That'll, that'll be the uh, title of your, your next book. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, I, I love the fact that it's a study in duality. Yeah. <laughs> you know, really bring it home. which basically says that, that hostages and terrorists are the same. <laughs> They're one and the same. So the script has just a few minor discrepancies here. First of all, instead of Powell saying, I'm here, John, he says, I'm here, cowboy. Mm-hmm. But I think it's better the John point because it 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 Human. it strengthens the connection between the two of them. And John's response was great because in in the movie he says, "Did you catch that bull?" Hans was running, and here he goes. Speaking of cows, did you ever hear so much bull in your life? Yeah. Two hours? That doesn't even make any sense. So they were. Uh... So I guess because they changed the cowboy. Yeah, the, they're, you know. they're trying to have some fun of wordplay, and Willis and yeah. Jill Johnson were just like, eh, let's do it our own way. <laughs> I don't think so. Yeah. Let's just make this it, uh, it's huge, it's, a little it, It's deeper with drama. Like, it's a more dramatic scene. It's it's like you can't yeah. you can't just make everything lighthearted or else you're not going to take it seriously. Correct. Correct. And then uh, just the, the direction that they have here for the, the studio is great. It says... Uh, you know, TV studio night, Gail and Harvey have company, a man from the Senator Paul Simon School of Grooming. <laughs> you know Senator Paul Simon was, don't you? He was the guy with the bow ties? Yeah. I right. Mean, so, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's very descriptive. Yeah. That works from that perspective. All right, so every Thursday we have a segment called Off the Beaten Track, Holiday Edition, where my guests will give a little story, anecdote, adventure, misadventure of something that happened to them over the course of their lives that's somehow related to the holidays. So, Aaron, you got another story for us? Yeah, so 2008, I'm in Israel um, during the end of December, um, and that year Hanukkah was much later. Um, It began... I believe, like, around Christmas, but, like, it lasted to either the end of the year, I don't think, it wouldn't have gone to New Year, so it was happening, like, during the end of December, essentially, because I was there for, 
I was there during Christmas and during New Year's, but like I assume Hanukkah probably had ended by New Year's. So, regardless, um, the thing that I it was, was on the December. It started on December twenty first, two thousand eight, and ended on December twenty ninth. There you go. So, um, being in Israel during Hanukkah, I delighted myself in having a jelly donut at least one every single day. It was the best. Only one? No, at least one. I had many, oh, okay. many jelly donuts. I have a picture of me with a jelly donut in my mouth. I have so many memories of great jelly donuts from different places, whether it was random markets, hotel, you know, morning breakfast, pastries. Uh, any chance I could get, I was like, I'm going to get myself a jelly donut. Uh, I'm very much delighted in having jelly donuts every single day uh, fresh in Israel. It was great. Yeah, that, that, <laughs> that is one of the... <laughs> Yeah, it's 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 one of the things that, that that always. I mean, when I grew up in America, so potato pancakes was what we had. Latkes, mm-hmm. you know, we didn't have donuts, but here in Israel, donuts. Apparently. It's it's <laughs> like, donuts. Yeah, just donuts, donuts, donuts. Like I I had latkes, but I cannot remember them compared to the amount of jelly donuts I had. <laughs> like, right. Okay. No, that makes sense. It's, in uh, Israel, it's very to be clear. In Israel, I can't remember the latkes. No, I but in Israel, in Israel, you don't find latkes. I know. I'm saying it's like, you, like I know I I know like they probably had you know just part of a buffet or something like that but yes it wasn't like the the specialty of the area i'm very aware so, so right I, so exactly. I, I can't specifically recall having them even if i did but i very much recall the donuts yeah because you you get them everywhere yeah. i mean it's just unbelievable the 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 different types of jelly donuts that they they have mm-hmm. i mean they've they've over the last few years they've gotten even more extravagant with the different things that they put on them and stuff like that you know, so for so you should come back and uh, get some to. more jelly donuts. Uh, you know, come Hanukkah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, then we, we can meet up. Yeah. There, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Great. So you want to once again tell people how they can get in touch with you? Yeah. You can find more of my work at thecodezeek.com. That's my personal blog where everything I do ends up. I co-host a podcast out now at Thursday today with my friend Abe. We talk about weekly movie releases. I write for Why So Blue for Blue Rank Criteria Interviews. I write for We Live Entertainment for Movie Reviews. And I'm on Twitter at Aaron's PS4. All right. And finding me is very simple. Just do a quick search for Movie Rob Minute. You can find me on Twitter. You can find me on Facebook. And you can find me on my website, MovieRobMinute.com. So, Aaron, you want to come back tomorrow and finish off the week and uh, find out what Hasseldorf has to, has to say? Maybe maybe Harvey, Harvey will interject. <laughs> yes, let's do it. All right, sounds good. So until tomorrow, yippee ki yay. Motherfucker, yippee ki yay.